know, um, your lead pastor is on a little break, seeking the Lord, he and his family, seeking some encouragement and rest, and we are so excited for them as well. But you know what? You all have been pastored already today by the Holy Spirit. I think David and what he shared at the beginning of our service, what Keisha just led us through in the song, we all singing together, but some of the nuances she brought in between the song verses to help us know the reality of our life today. The Holy Spirit, I think, spoke to our hearts already in beautiful ways. There are some wonderful truth and realities that were sung and spoken of in prayer and encouragement already today. And so today, we're going to be looking a little bit more closely. As you know, we're walking through the book of Philippians during these summer months, and there'll be different pastors that are presenting each Sunday. And the one we're going to look at today is in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 19. In just a moment, I'll read that passage. You can turn your Bible to Philippians 2, verse 19. We'll read in just a moment. But you know what's very interesting is the Word of God, when it was written by those apostles in the New Testament, many of them, of the, those that wrote the letters, Peter and Paul in particular and John, they often had doctrinal truths as their primary um, wake up to us, the message, the revelation from God to speak to us about how to live that way. But in the middle of many of these books, or at the end of the book, is mention of practical living, how to get along, how to be a people, how to be a spiritual family, how to walk together. And in the middle of this book of Philippians, that's what I'm going to look at today, is how to walk together as people. And what I love about TLCC is how much you all have walked together for a whole lot of years. I'm thrilled for being a distant observer, been able to be a part of your church in different ways for 10 years. I am thrilled with what God has done in your midst and through you and having you walk together. You know, the, the words that are in the earlier passage we looked at last week had to do with the beloved. There's a kindred spirit. There's a beloved spirit one to each other. That's a sense of affection, warmth, commitment, Staying together, walking together, enjoying each other, challenging each other at times, but staying with it. And that's what's going on in TLCC, in my humble opinion. As I look at your life, your ministry, and the hearts that are here, it's a beautiful part of your story and your journey that the Holy Spirit of God has knit your hearts together. And through the ebb and flow of occasionally location changes or, or different kind of challenges that have come to your church, God has done a mighty work. He is doing a mighty work among you. And I praise the Lord and give the Lord thanks for that. This passage we're going to look at today, it's going to be from chapter 2, verse 19 through the end of the chapter. I'm going to have two sections of it. So I'm only going to read one section at a time. I do happen to use the ESV, the English Standard Version. You may have a different version, but I'll be reading the ESV version. If it's a little bit different than yours, that's fine. It's from the same rooted text together. Um, but I like to read from verses 19 through verse 24 first here. And so in Philippians chapter 2, verse 19, it says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. 
I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with you. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Now, the first section here, let's remember the context of the book of Philippians. The Apostle Paul is writing from prison. He loved these people of Philippi. He helped plant the church in Philippi a few years before, and some other churches had been planted by him as well. But after his time spent with them of discipleship, mentoring, challenging, encouraging, strengthening their lives, he's now find him, he finds himself away in prison. And here is his message to the church that he loves dearly. It's not so much a theological message or a doctrinal message or things that you should believe necessarily, but it's, it's how you should live and how you can live. And so, friends, that's one thing we want to look at again today is how do we live once we have received the truth from God, once we have understood the gospel of Jesus Christ, once we've understood what God did to save us, to redeem us, to give us a new life, to make us a, citizens of a new, a new kingdom, as, as David already mentioned this morning. But we're citizens of a new kingdom, so we live a different way. And here's what Paul is challenging the people with. He says, I'm sending you Timothy because I can't come myself. I'm sending you another messenger. And as we talked about last week, we cannot be and should not be only hooked on one presenter, one leader. God gives us wonderful apostles, teachers, preachers, those that lead our life. Yes, he does. But in fact, if we have only one voice that we listen to, if we're so favored by only one person, we're going to miss what God wants to say to us because there's often many other solid voices that can tell us things we need to know. And here he's reminding them that Timothy is going to go at his encouragement to go say some things and do some things to them because he can't go himself. And so it's a very interesting timing of this in what Paul is saying here. So the beauty of how Paul was leading that church was he was providing shepherds and others to lead the church besides himself. He wanted to make sure that others would be valued and vetted and encouraged and supported to go do the work of the ministry that needed to happen. And so that's the mark of a healthy church, is that not only does one leader lead, and they should lead well and lead strong, yes, but it's not a dominant voice that only can be the only one to listen to. And so here's a beautiful picture in mind, and I believe that's what's happening in your church. I know that Pastor Jamie's your lead voice, and I, I highly regard his voice. I've listened to many of his sermons, both in person and on uh, Facebook or whatever, on streaming video, your pastor can preach very well. I love his word. I love how he preaches and how he strengthens. But you know what he's done through the last few years? He's invited others from your church to be lay pastors, to be ministers, and to bring the gospel, to bring the word. And that's why we have a joy now, even this summer, of having few people share the pulpit together because we're not dependent only on one voice. Now, the beautiful thing here, look what it says here. I hope in the Lord, it says, the Lord Jesus, to send Timothy to you soon. Why? So that I too may be cheered by news of you. So there's something Paul is saying. I'm stuck in prison. I care about you. I'm caring about you. I've sent people for you. But you know what? I want to hear how you're doing. I want to hear from him as he'll give to me a report of your own progress, your own strength. You know, last week we looked about that whole concept of it. Paul gave the concept of work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, 
Don't just depend on what you've heard once many years ago. Don't depend on one voice you maybe love on TV or radio or maybe the pastor you grew up with. But no, work out your salvation today. Don't work for yourself. You're not working for your salvation. You're working out your salvation with reverence or fear and trembling. In other words, this is serious stuff. So we need to walk out our faith day to day with reverence to God, with a sense of fear, fearing God, and trembling. I want to do the right thing and learn from God even today. And even if my pastor is not physically here, the Lord is still here. The Spirit of God is still here. The Word of God is still here. And it's my job for me to walk on Monday through Saturday out my salvation with fear and trembling. It's your job to walk out from Monday through Saturday as well to hear the voice of the Lord from the Word of God and to work out your salvation by hearing the Lord's voice and surrendering to Him, humbling yourself before Him. So here he says, I'm going to send Timothy to you and I hope to be cheered by news of you. And look what he says about his character. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. See, that's the, that's the mark of a shepherd. The one who's distant or geographically distant, he still cares about the spiritual health of the flock, even if he's not there with them. I know that pastors who go on vacation or have a sabbatical or a time of just refreshment that are needed, Pastor Jamie's after 10 years of this work, to be refreshed of soul, to be refreshed, but he's, he's going to still care. He does still care about your own well-being, your salvation, your own growth, your own progress in the gospel. And this is what Paul did. He sent Timothy because he knew Timothy trusted God, and he could trust Timothy. He would be genuinely concerned about your well-being. I know that Pastor Jamie, when he sent many of us to come and, and be a part of this wonderful expression of the Word of God to your church family, it's because I think he trusts the leaders. He trusts us that we genuinely concern about you, and I want to care about you. I know the other ones who are bringing the, the Word of God care about you, and we're doing this because there's genuinely concern about your own spiritual growth in your life. This matters. This church matters. Your growth matters. Your spiritual TLCC family really matters. And so, you know, new building, new situation. We're kind of coming out of the pandemic. There's people can meet in the buildings again. You know what? But we care. We care about being together. Hearing God's voice through the word of God together really matters here. So he says, he, he's sending Timothy because he's genuinely concerned for your welfare. And notice what he says in verse 21. They all... He doesn't say who they all are. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. You know, friends, I hate to say it, but in the name of Christianity, in the name of the church, there are they all who do not care about your spiritual heart. There's many people that are saying things out loud from the church pulpits or from the community of faith that aren't from the Word of God. They're saying things that are about their own interests or their own pride or their own way of seeing things, their own opinions. And so that's why the test of does someone love the Word of God and love the people is they speak truth from the Word of God. The Word of God is the message. The truth that God gave through the messengers in the Bible is what the true message is, not opinions or those who just have a good uh, a way about them. They, have, they can draw a crowd. They're very interesting or they have some new ideas, or they say things that we all want to hear in our flesh. 
that's not the message of God. That's the message of the flesh. And these are people that could be in churches. They can be in pulpits. There's people in pulpits today I'm aware of that are actually agnostic. They're also distrusting God. They're actually leading people to question all the things they were raised with in the, in the Lord, in the Bible. And this is a scary day in which we live. So many voices are loud, and they're, they have audiences that are large, social media audiences, sometimes books, sometimes on TV, other means. But they're saying things that are of their own making, of their own ideas, of their own flesh, what they wish the culture was like. Or they're trying to agree with the culture so they can be have a popularity and people will flock to them or flock to their church. You guys, this is a dangerous place to be if we're not taking the word of God truthfully and straightforwardly and letting it speak the truth, even if it's hard to hear sometimes, even if it's difficult to hear, even if it kind of makes us squirm or feel awkward or convicted or feel like, I don't know if I want to go anymore because I don't like hearing that. But you know what? From the word of God, it's a message of warning. It's a message of truth. It's for our good. It's an act of love from God to tell us the truth about ourselves and tell us the truth about what's true, truly good and truly bad, truly evil or truly good. And so this is a reminder that Paul is telling this young church, for the most part, the church of Philippi, you know, you've already been through a lot. If you look at early Acts, you see what the church of Philippi went through. They had some demonology going on and some other events that took place that he confronted when he was with them. And now they are kind of on their own and he's not there. And what he's doing is he's saying, don't forget what's true. I want to hear your growth. I want to hear how you're growing. I want to hear how you're, you're living. And so he's sending Timothy to be his messenger along the way here. So then in verse 22, he says, but you know Timothy's proven worth. He's telling the Philippian church, you know, Philippian church, Timothy's proven worth. How do they know that? Because they saw him in action. It's not just because they heard of this guy named Timothy and he was just sent that way, but no, they know him. Timothy was known by the Philippian church. Why? He was there in the early days. If you go back in history in the book of Acts, Timothy was brought along early on when Paul helped plant the Philippian church, and Timothy was a younger, mentored disciple of Paul. And so they watched his growth in years past, in months past. And so now he is he's entrusting leadership in his absence to Timothy to bring about a word, to bring about help, to bring about a message to them, and also to bring back to himself a message from Timothy. And he said, because we know his proven worth. I'm just going to make a quick parenthesis here. I believe your pastor knows the proven worth of your church. Um, he's talked to me off and on through these last number of years, and I see it. I see it with many of you. Um, I don't know all of you, but many of you have been around Pastor Jamie and the church, you know, and one thing about Timothy, he was there at the earliest stages. Not that you can always trust someone who's been there from the beginning, but if you've been there from the beginning, your character is known eventually by the people. They see you either in action or in inaction, but they see you. And so many of you have been since the start of TLCC, roughly 10 years ago. I don't know the exact start date. And, you know, many of you have known each other even before that start date. But what I'm trying to say to you is I know from your pastor's heart and from my observation, there's many of you that have come through this journey together. 
and you've stayed with it. It doesn't matter your age. You could be older than Pastor Jamie. You could be younger. That's not the issue. It's a matter of have you walked together with the Lord and stayed with it and let the Word of God be your truth, your guide, your hope, your strength in spite of what goes on in the world around us. Sure, there's a lot of things that are more um, shiny or more this or more that. But you know what? It's the truth there. Friends, I believe in my heart of hearts the truth is in TLCC. The truth is being led forward by your pastor and by you as leaders. And so whether or not it's a full house or people are flocking to come to the door, whether it's a consistency of others, if you've been here from the start, you're staying with it, you're listening to the Word of God, you're obeying the Word of God, you're being strengthened by the Word of God, by your pastor and your leaders and your people that teach Zoom and, and on Zoom and the other doctrinal things you're learning, it's a beautiful story of God doing a mighty work. And so stay with it, stay with it. So Paul really wanted to hear of their growth. And he wanted them to know of his concern for them just as they had concern for him. And so I know through the, the years, I have witnessed your concern for Jamie and Sonny and their family. I have seen that. I'm so thankful for your care for him. And my sense is they're doing great in the Lord and with each other. They just needed this break. But you know what? He, I know, is concerned about how you're doing as well. So just as you're concerned about him, or have been, and their health, and Sonny's health, and the family, I know he's concerned about you guys as well. So the interesting thing here was that for Timothy, it was like no one else for Paul. He had this sense of trust in Timothy. And that's what he says right here. He goes, there's no one else quite like him. Well, there are some other great disciples that followed Paul around and other disciples in the early church. And here's the deal is, it's not like Paul's playing favorites. And please, we have to stay away from that. Is there being favorites played? No, there's a sense of kindredness, a belovedness, a sense of, you know, who can I count on right now? Who can I count on to help us, to help me, is what Paul is saying. He's stuck in this prison cell. And he says, I'm going to send Timothy to you. I can trust him as much or more than anybody. He's been there from the start. He has proven worth. You've seen it. And I'm going to send him to you. And so it's a question that I ask myself. In my church, I've been in ministry about 45 years or so. And I've had people that I've, been, I've worked under, I've been alongside of, and sometimes I've been leading over them. And here's the whole deal is that what do we do when we're called upon? When there's a special need, am I willing to be faithful and do what I'm asked by our leadership? And I've had different leadership changes through the years. And, you know, it's a question I've had to ask some people to do at times. And I don't just look around and try to find favorites. It's not about favorites and popularity. And that's a, that's a very man-centered uh, favoritism, partiality point of view. It's not that kind of thing at all. But you look for, say, who are people that are walking with the Lord and I can trust to go bring a message or to go do this role, even if I'm not there to watch over it. And so it's a beautiful thing. When we get asked by spiritual leaders in our churches to do an event, to do a situation, have a role to play, and nobody's going to be there to kind of like look over our shoulder. And so this church is being led this summer. Pastor Jamie's not involved directly. And he's trusted many of you to do roles to play. How you handle the finances, how you handle the music and the worship planning, how you do your service, how you do communion, who's preaching, 
all these kind of things Jamie's not controlling. He's given that to others in trust. And the question is, when you're asked or we're asked to do something, are we doing it faithfully to the Lord first, to the Word of God, and then knowing that we're, being, we're, we're carrying on the integrity of the passion and the heart and the commitments that are going on in the life of this church. And so this is a beautiful story that's unfolded in the book of, I mean, in the book of Philippians. There was still doctrine taught by Paul in the first half of chapter 2. But then let me just summarize about Timothy, what was true about him. I don't know if this will be on the screen behind me or not. But so there's a few things that we just read about. Number one is Timothy, there was no one like him. Number two, he had genuine concern for the people. Three, he had a proven worth. Number four, it says he was like a son to his father. Now, sometimes that's good news, sometimes that's bad news. But in the good news of the scriptures is a son should emulate the father who's modeled the character that should be there. In this case, Paul is saying that Timothy is like a son to the father. And number five, Paul says he served me in the gospel. Now, serving you in the gospel, Paul, he's not necessarily saying they preach all the time. There's a lot of ways we serve in the gospel. We serve by praying for others in the gospel. We serve by singing in the gospel. We serve by playing orchestra, I mean, instruments to bring the message through the music in the gospel. The choice of songs in the gospel. The financial giving in the gospel. The caring about others who are sick or frail or can't get to church. We still care for them. We're compassionate. We care. We bring a meal. We call them on the phone. Somebody who's lonely, somebody maybe who's even in discouragement or despair, a phone call, maybe a visit these days. But we're doing that in the gospel. It's ways we serve in the gospel, even if the pastor's not doing it, even if the pastor's not here. And so I just highly value ways that any of you are serving in the gospel. And you may not even be assigned to do it. You may just choose to do it. You may just want to do it. You may want to help others. And nobody's asked you to go do it. You visit somebody in the hospital. You visit, you bring a meal. You do whatever you can do because it's a model of what the gospel has asked you to do to be genuine, hospitable, generous, to reach out. And so these are things that Timothy was commended for and part of the reason that Paul sent him to the Philippian church so he could be there, the example in his place. Now I'm going to go to the second section of this the end of this chapter here, and read it. And it's by a name of someone we, we hear about. It's hard to pronounce. His name is Epaphroditus. So let me just read what it says in the scriptures about Epaphroditus. Again, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, starting in verse 25 to the end of the chapter. I have thought it necessary, this is Paul speaking, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. And he's your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also. 
lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Wow. This is all about Epaphroditus. We just talked about Timothy, and he said there's no one like him, but here he goes and talks about another guy right away in the same breath almost. So he's not comparing them. He's not playing one against the other. He's just commending certain people. And let me take another pause. The Epaphroditus is almost like a no-name in the early church. I mean, you don't really hear much about it. You hear a lot about Timothy. Certainly you hear a lot about Paul. But now Epaphroditus shows up here, and look what it says about him. There's many of the New Testament books have what I call the last chapters, like the pots and pans. It's kind of like the leftovers, man. It's like all these, and it'll go through all these names of people, men and women, that most of them don't have a Wikipedia page about them. You know what I mean? They're just like, they, well, you know their name and maybe one phrase about them. The book of Romans is that way. First Corinthians is that way. Many other books are that way. But these are people that are no names to most of us. They were no names of the day, but Paul still takes time to commend them for a trait, a quality, something about their background, something about what they did to serve the whole, to serve the others. Woman to woman, man to man. Could be women serving this and doing that. And there's all these ways that people work in the life of the church. And they're not known. They're not on the stage. They're not, their names aren't on the bulletin or in the, on the website. And so here's a beautiful part of God's church. Everybody matters. Everybody matters. Any follower of Jesus matters. And you may never get your name on, a, on the page or on a bulletin, but you matter as a follower of Jesus Christ and one who's trustworthy at whatever God's given you to do. Sometimes God gives you things to do that the church has asked you to do. Other times you're just doing things because God put it in your heart to do it. It's a Christian thing to do. It's a good thing. It's a gracious thing, a generous thing, a caring thing, a compassionate thing to do. There's probably no, there's not even a program to organize you. You've got to go figure it out yourself. But you're doing something that God put in your heart to do for the good of the body of Christ or the good for even the community in the name of Jesus. And so when we get involved that way, we're honoring the Lord. And not that our name's going to show up in any sort of lights, but in fact, it's known by the Lord Jesus. It's known by God. He commends us for doing obedient things to him as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And so this passage, to me, has a couple phenomenal things in it by this strange name, Epaphroditus. Look what it says in verse 25. I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. And who is Epaphroditus to Paul? There's three things that show up here that stand out. He's my brother. He's my fellow worker. He's a fellow soldier. I want to talk about those three things for a minute. Fellow soldier, that's a companion in arms. Someone who's joined with another, a companion to fight, a companion to walk with. I think, I think this little three, these three phrases are a process and a pr progress in relationship that's vital. This is how 
relationships, I think, can work beautifully. It's showing me, shows us, that the body of Christ must be interdependent and not live like a silo, not live like an isolated, independent spirit. In other words, that can lead to pride or a sense of even rebellion or hardness of heart or ego. Here, the difference is, Paul is saying, Epaphroditus, what is he first? He's my brother. Friends, that's where it starts is, do you have, if you're a man, do you have a brother in Christ? If you're a woman, do you have a sister in Christ? They're close to you. Even before they're anything else, they're a, they're a beloved sister or a beloved brother. Number two is, not only that, they're a fellow worker. They're willing to work together with you. You might pair up and do something together. You've learned that this person, is, a, in my case, it'd be a male. He's a brother in Christ to me. First of all, we're brothers. We care about each other. We'll pray together. We'll walk together. In some ways, we're a brother in Christ. But then we'll do some service together. We'll work together somehow. We'll walk together. And then, then we become, at times, fellow soldiers. We have to be a companion in fighting battles together. You know, it's hard to fight battles when you don't know the person. But if you have the time, you've been a brother to brother or sister to sister, and then you kind of are working together, but then when some real challenge comes or some battle comes, you know who has your back. You know who you can walk with. That when I'm in the throes of a reality check of my life, that fellow worker, that fellow brother or sister is really who I count on. And most people will not even know it. It's not like the church says, well, we're going to match you up and make you be friends. We're going to make you be brothers and sisters or make you be, you know, soldiers together. No, this happens by our initiative. It happens by our engaging with people. And it doesn't mean we're all going to know each other or each other well. But is there someone who's your sister in Christ, ladies, who's really your sister? Men, is there someone who's really your brother in Christ? And is there then someone, that person, can they be a fellow worker with you? You guys actually, you gals, you guys, you want to do something together in the Lord. You want to, do, you want to walk together. But then, wow, when the battle's on, who do you have with you? They're a fellow soldier with you when you're going to war. And what are some of the things that we have to go to war over? Well, I think one of the things that Paul did, uh, there's things that matched to me. There's, they become a fellow warrior against many different foes that come in our life. I don't suggest that all of you have all of these issues, but I think you could have any of these issues now or later, or maybe you've already had them. One is you could be facing false teachers. There's teachings that you've received or heard or are hearing that is false. This fellow warrior of yours may be one who could help you clarify that or be aware of that or be warned of that or listen to you and you walk together so now you can talk about what that idea is, that teaching is, number one. Two is some of you may feel mocked by somebody. And it's a battle when your family or a loved one you once had or a friend you've had for years turns around and they're now mocking you for your faith or who you're trying to be in Jesus. That's a war. 
Because we all want to be supported and affirmed and blessed and have peace with our brothers and sisters and the family or old friends or whatever. But sometimes we're not going to be at peace because they're mocking us for the stand we're trying to make. And you may feel alone when you're going through a hard decision or a hard, rocky part of your life. And that's why you especially need that brother or sister or the fellow worker or someone who's a soldier with you. They're helping you discern the mocking you're going through and not let it bring you down. Third is, we sometimes have political or spiritual confrontations. In other words, people challenge you they go to war with you because you have a certain thought. And I don't think we should necessarily talk about politics in the church, but people sometimes know where our stand is or what what the culture's saying around us, and we might disagree with certain things. And now all of a sudden, if you disagree out loud, or you've made a statement that questions something out loud, somebody's going to be confronting you. And it's hard to even take a stand of what you think you believe. And sometimes you need that, that brother or sister or that fellow worker or that fellow soldier who stands with you. And maybe it's spiritual comfort. There's a lot of weird spiritual ideas out there, Right? I mean, I've heard them, you've heard them, we've all heard them. And if the Word of God can't clearly be understood and we don't clearly understand what the Word of God says, I don't know if we should be hanging around or listening to or letting that stuff become a part of our life. And sometimes we need a a fellow soldier to help us think through what the Word of God says and how we can stand strong in the Word of God when other people that are Christians or have the, the banner of Christianity that they're hanging their hat on it's like, no, these are times when there's battle going on. So false teachers, mockers, political and spiritual confrontations. And then one that no, no doubt many of us face now or have faced or will face, that's sensual temptations. There's all sorts of sensual temptations in our world. Many of us grew up with those, fought those things off or dealt with those or fell into those things. As a middle-aged or older adult, I'm an older adult, hey, it doesn't stop. Okay, the temptations can be there at 60, I said last week I was 65, and actually 66. It can happen at 66, it can happen older, it can happen younger. But central temptations, if we stand in isolation, if we try to fight this stuff or try to think our way through it, you know what happens is? We can talk ourselves into it. We become those who find a way to justify whatever our flesh wants. And we can find a way to listen and find little parts of the Bible or little spiritual ideas we've heard to just justify we're going to do that because you know why? Because I want to. Because my flesh wants to. And so this is why it's so important to have spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ who are brothers and sisters or sisters. They're fellow workers in the body of Christ and they are a fellow soldier with you. They're a companion in arms when you've just had that thought, when that soul talk has welled up inside your head and given you justification for things, and you're alone, and you're isolated, and you're like a, you know, it's like a lamb who separates from the flock and is vulnerable to the wolf. That's why we need to have partnerships. We need to have friendships that are real, genuine, integritous. And this is within the body of Christ. This is what the church is to be about. It's not just about being a family. It's about being also a truth, you know, a, a bastion of truth in the church, yes. But it's also to be a family, 
to be a family who's walking together, standing together, going shoulder to shoulder, standing arm in arm, companion in arm, so that I've been a Christian man since I've been 10 years old. I'm 66 years old right now. I've been in ministry 42 years, and there's things today and this week I need help with. I think I'm trying to be, I think I'm a generally mature believer. I'm a pastor. I, I know a lot. I, I know better. But you know what? There's still the teasing of the mind. There's still the teasing from the world. No matter how strong you think you are, or you are, we need help. All of us need help. And so, if you're here as a long-term believer, praise the Lord you stayed with it. Amen. Brother or sister, way to go. But you know what? Don't turn your back. Because if you're isolated, and you get isolated from the flock, from truth that's ongoing, you have the potential to be vulnerable and fall. Any of us can fall. All of us have the seeds of sin in our minds and our hearts. The heart is deceptive, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah says. We can talk ourselves into anything if we listen to the wrong people for long enough or we're in a downward spiral in our own spiritual life for whatever reason. And all of a sudden we're vulnerable. We're like, you were just thrown out there and now we are susceptible to fall into any number of things. So don't think anything's beyond you. You know, you can say, well, that's not the thing I would ever do. Really? You may not have ever been tempted that way, but don't give up that you couldn't be still in the day to come, no matter your age. We all have the seeds of any kind of sin or attitude in our body. I mean, it's in, it's in us. It could be in us. By God's grace, we're forgiven. We have a new heart. We have, we're citizens. We have a new future. We're forgiven of our sins. Wonderfully beautiful. But you know what? It doesn't mean we're all put together. It doesn't mean we're all walking every day that way. So I think what this is a beautiful um, example here that Paul is speaking about Epaphroditus. He's not only my brother, he's a fellow worker and a fellow soldier. So I'm almost done here with this section here. But it says here, he's also, this is verse 25, he's your messenger, and he's a minister to my need. This, these are big words that Paul is giving to Epaphroditus. He's your messenger, he's coming to be a messenger to you, and he's a minister to my own need, Paul is saying. For he has been longing for you and has been distressed. Why? Because you heard that he was ill. So here's Epaphroditus who wasn't with them right now. He was sick for a while. We'll hear about that in just a moment. But Epaphroditus was concerned that the people were worried about him because he was sick. So look, let's look what it says here. Indeed, he was ill, verse 27, near to death, but God. Now, by the way, I love that, those two words, but God. They're all over the New Testament, but God. Here's one thing we see or know we're going through, but God turns it around. But God, but God. That's an amazing thing. I love those words. So whenever you see but God, stop and think, what's he, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this carefully, what is he but Godding about? Okay? What has God done in that situation? Because he turned it around. He's the turnaround, God's a turnaround God. He turns what was into something that's not. He's turned from what it was going to a different direction. How many times has there been but God in your life? Where you were going a certain direction, and but God entered by grace or strength or 
courage or warning or wake up or whatever it was, but God turns you around and gives you a new start, a new life. Here it was for Epaphroditus. He was near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So Paul is saying, hey, Epaphroditus apparently was healed or strengthened while he was near death by God's mercy for him. But Paul's saying, it was also mercy for me, Paul says, because I don't want to have sorrow of losing that guy. I don't want to have to go through the sorrow upon sorrow of him being sick. How about you? Are there people in your world... We've lost people. I lost my wife 15 months ago, 18 months ago. We prayed and worked for four years to try to see if by God's grace she'd be healed. We prayed for her extensively, and many of you prayed for her. Thank you so much. But God was merciful to her during that time to give her more months. But God was also merciful to her in bringing her home to heaven. And we have great confidence that she is with the Lord, and it's a great confidence to me that the sorrow and sorrow we were going through at her sickness has been relieved by the promise of her eternal life and her healing in heaven. She's unburdened now. Praise the Lord. And so, you know, the mercy of God shows up in different ways. Sometimes we have to interpret it. Not that we make it up, but we have to realize, how is God showing mercy now? And so in your life, you may have really difficult circumstances and situations. But friends, you're right here. But God has been merciful to you, brought you to this place to be part of a spiritual family. He's kept his promises to you. He's given you a home in heaven. He's given you peace. He's given you physical strength to get up. Maybe you've been on a sick bed. I don't know. But here's this whole idea here that but God, he brings through mercy, he gives us life and hope and a future. And it's a beautiful part here. And so Epaphroditus himself was longing um, to hear how they're doing. So verse 28 says, I am the more eager to send him, Paul, we're going to send Epaphroditus, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again. And so if someone in this case was sick or was distant or we didn't know how he's doing, all of a sudden he shows up again. He's back with the people. And I don't want to overly state this and misinterpret mis it. But the concept here is that someone you thought was gone or not able or wasn't going to make it or whatever, there's a sense that at times there's mercy that brings them back. Could bring them back spiritually, could bring them back in health ways, but they're brought back into the fold, into the family again. And seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. Now, Anxiousness is not a sin, although sometimes we can make it a sin because we get too worried about things that we can't do anything about. But here's a word here that Paul is saying. He was, in one sense, anxious for Epaphroditus. And he may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord, he says in verse 29, with all joy and honor such men as this, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And so he's saying he risked his life to go be doing a certain kind of work. Welcome him back. Bring him back. He may be exhausted or worn out or near death doing the work of, of Christ, but now's the time to receive him and to be thankful that he's back. And so 
as we end this passage today, we're going to get into more really thoughtful things next week in chapter 3 of Philippians. But let's just stop and realize that, that Paul is taking a little parenthesis from his doctrinal teaching and really valuing and honoring the church and the members of the church to say, you know what? You all matter. Each one matters. And so there's times when Paul could not be there present with them or not even teach them certain things. But here were others that he turned to to carry out the work that needed to be done in the life of the church. And so I bless you in the name of the Lord for what you're doing to do the work of the church, to do the work of the gospel, with or without your pastor present every Sunday. He's with you in spirit, and you have some wonderful spiritual leaders in the life of this church, men and women, that are caring for the flock here, caring for the worship service, caring about the Thursday night study, um, gathering the ladies in a couple Saturdays from now. All these ways the church is alive. Your people are alive, and there's people leading that are maybe even unknown to you, but they're here to care for the good of the church because they love the Lord, they love the Word of God, and they love your pastor and his wife. Let me just pray for us right now as a sign of dedication to all of you, and thanks to the Lord for what he's doing.